The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Right, give a talk. Hmm. Interesting. They say inspiration, um, desperation, if anything. I don't have any inspiration. Oh, no, I do. Um, yum, yum, yum. Okay. Uh, um, why should we practice? I think that's a nice broad topic, which, and I, I think I've given similar talks so many times, but if I don't remember, you don't remember, so it's good. I can just talk about the same thing over and over again. What's the point doing mindfulness and meditation? What's the point? Nothing seems to be happening. Week after week, all the same. A couple of months ago, I'm still the same. I've been a monk for 10 years. I, something should be happening by now. Why it's not happening? I don't know. Is it my fault? No. I always blame Ajahn Brahm, Ajahn Brahm's fault. He should be a better teacher for me. Blame your teacher, or, or then you end up blaming me. So, okay, don't, don't blame me too much. Well, I, I tell you, um, I was just in my, uh, my room over there, and um, uh, my health is not, at the moment, is not the best. It's not too bad, but I have this uh, thing called IBD. It's uh, inflammatory bowel disease. And at the moment, I have a flare-up. So I'm like sitting, at the moment, I even sit like I'm in a hot coal. My colon is inflamed. And my, hang on, is there a nice word for this? My anus feels like I'm sitting on, actually, there's like a coal where I'm sitting on. You can imagine what it feels like. It's, it's not very nice. So what can I do about it? Well, I take medication, but sometimes it doesn't help. At the moment, it's not helping. So, so I go online just before the talk and say, you know, you type on Google, and Google gives you answers for everything in life, right? I, IBD flare-up, you know, uh, symptoms or something. Yeah, and the first article what comes up, there was this um, lady says, you know, like, okay, yes, you have the flare-up, when, you know, what can you do? Um, try de-stressing. Oh, great. What's my stress in life as a monk? I have to give public talks. <laughs> so, it's your fault, I have it. One thing she said, next thing is, try mindfulness. <laughs> right, okay. Maybe even try meditation. <laughs> and then all the other things, like, you know, be kind to yourself and all that. Try to find a friend who actually listens to you and you know, gives, and, you know, without giving too many. <laughs> try to be, um, tell your friends, don't be too much too judgmental or coming to conclusion. Don't try to help all the time this and that, so, and all of those are good advices. De-stress, 
mindfulness, meditation. See, this psychologist knew what she was talking about. But I should know about these things. And so it is interesting that these, a lot of these people, they know that these things have a value. And I know for myself that it has a value. And I know it helps. Perhaps I cannot meditate too much today, uh, sitting on the hot coal all afternoon. So what can I do? The only thing I can do after the done and after all these things, I can just lie down. Perhaps I can just put a hot blanket on myself and just then I just have to have that kind of kindness. Whatever helps it, for you, for my body. Body contemplation, which she didn't mention there, and perhaps it's not what she meant by mindfulness, perhaps. I can... I can just observe the body and just don't try to change it. Just be with it. Have kind, kindfulness towards that, what Ajahn Brahm is always uh, promoting. So give all these things. But this, this is the point why we practice. If I would have just never done mindfulness or meditation or never done kindfulness, well... Okay, now it's almost like my back against the wall. I, now I have to practice. So many times we come across the people who say, I practiced earlier, now I'm just sort of not doing it too much. Perhaps you go and listen to Dhamma talks, rest of the time you just watch YouTube and uh, TV at home. You don't meditate. What's the point of practicing? The point is that when we get these situations, when you actually have that thing happening in your life, whether it's divorce or sickness or old age, death is for somebody's death or your own death, that's when your back is against the wall. If your back is against the wall and then you think, ah, now I'm going to Google and I'm going to find some kind, something is going to help me, do you think it's going to help if you haven't practiced before? There's really something stressful happening in your life. We all know these events, whether it's, like I said, divorce or sickness. Then you're going to go and Google. Start reading about it. Oh, yes, this is what I should be doing. It's too late. The point of the practice is that we have to keep at it when we have good times, when you have health. We need to practice about getting sick. When we are alive, we have to practice about dying. When we have stable relations, we have to practice about losing these relations. The practice has to be ongoing. And we have to renew it. We have to, once in a while, just be humble about it. Like, yep, I've lost the momentum. I'm just, it's, it's too easy just to get distracted in life and not practice. And by practice, you know, people, what does it mean, practice? This means actually that um, uh, practice of kindfulness, what, like, again, like Ajahn Brahm is coined the, the, the phrase, being mindful and kind. Those are the really what that's the, you know, mindfulness part in everyday life. And meditation in a sense that, be quietly by yourself. Try to um, have time where you can actually be by yourself quietly. 
I, I'm hesitant to say that you know you that's the the practice means that you sit in a cushion for certain many hours every day. That that's practice. It it is certainly that that is one part of it. But if we emphasize it too much, it becomes this kind of rigid form of meditation, and that's practice. It can be. Like I said, for me, it's probably this afternoon. It's just I just have to lie down under the blankets, just keep myself the body warm, make sure it's comfortable enough. This, the flare-up is going to be there, but I have to just able to observe it without getting caught up with it too much. That's the only thing you can do certain times. And perhaps... You don't try to push it away, but I'm just perhaps it's going to happen that I, when I make myself really comfortable, the the body will have time to heal itself because it's not doesn't. If you try to fight against something, the stress builds up, and like I said, with IBD, uh, these inflammatory uh, diseases, the worst thing is to have more stress in your life. It just builds. It gets worse. But it's the same thing for stress. You get stressed about being stressed. You get depressed about being depressed. You get angry about being angry. We never get anywhere with hate. That's what the Dhammapada verse is, what the Buddha said. By non-hatred is the only way. What the Buddha says there, if you take it non-hatred, being loving-kindness, metta. By that alone, hatred, depression, ill will is eased. That's the only way where it just sort of you can decouple it from yourself. We tend to own these things. We tend to own our bodies. We tend to own our minds. As long as we do that, we have a lot of stress. People ask me all the time, how am I? And... Oh, you know, obviously it's that way where it's just, it doesn't mean anything, you know, like, how are you, good, you know, good day thing. But quite often when I think of that, how am I doing, it's quite, it makes me feel quite small, actually. And it, you tend to thinking about, you start to thinking about all these things, what's happening in your own body and mind. But if I think of slightly bigger, how are we doing? How is the monastery doing? How is the Buddhist society doing? How is the Sangha in Newbury? We are okay. We are in harmony. My family is okay for you. That would be more, more, something more to think about. Family is doing, it's okay. We are all right. So try to expand a little bit of your perspective Instead of like, how, am, how, how is my practice doing? You think more like, my body and mind is almost like a factory. It's almost like a big entity. And it's like, yeah, there's some problems here and there, but they're small little things. And overall, this factory, this amazing... Um, thing it seems to be doing okay and it's in right gear it's doing well 
I remember when I started meditating, I lived in New York at the time. I don't know why I just did that. Um, and um, in the first, you know, six months I was there, I, I started to go all these different meditation classes. There, I just happened to be very lucky. I, had, I found groups which I, um, I thought I belonged to, and there were good teachers there. And after six months of intense practice, you just sort of like feel, oh, I thought I found something. I thought this was it. But maybe it wasn't. Maybe this mindfulness doesn't work. Maybe this meditation, Buddhism, Dhamma doesn't work. It's like everything you start in life and you get excited in the beginning and you do a lot of research perhaps and all that. But maybe, maybe it doesn't have that much value. And I was really disappointed. I, I thought I found it. I was looking something in life. We're always looking for something in life. Something is going to be, there's going to be something better. Something bigger than us. And then when you lose it, you feel like, oh, that wasn't it. And I was really disappointed that I thought there was something there. Buddhism is finally going to give me a peace of mind. I was always running somewhere. And luckily then I found Ajahn Brahm and I kept practicing. But if I would not have, if I would be one of those ones who people who stop practicing, it's like, yeah, I'm a, perhaps I feel like I'm Buddhist. Perhaps you're born as a Buddhist. But it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean you're born Buddhist and you're Buddhist. People say that, another thing where people say all the time, I was born Buddhist, so I'm Buddhist. What, in a consensus, you know, when you write down to put the pox in, in a tick? We had, there's 2% of us now in Australia almost, we're doing well, there's a lot of Buddhists. How many Buddhists are practicing? The Buddha, Buddha said, you know, um, in one of the suttas is that, to give a gift, there's a, somebody asks, what's the highest gift or what's the, what's the, where you get the most merit? And the Buddha goes through the list of you, give it to the, um, the Sangha and give it to the Sangha, which is led by the Buddha, the, the enlightened one. And you give it to the dual Sangha, for example, that's a, that's a very high merit, which is, it's hard to um, do that many places. We don't have a lot of bhikkhunis. Some monasteries we do have, like in Newbury. That's a very high gift, because you're giving to the dual sangha, you're giving to monks and nuns are practicing. And we have the uh, lay community there, and we're building a retreat center. So we, it's, when you're supporting something like Buddhist society, you know you're supporting a big community. But above that, even higher merit is... Even if you, if you do metta for amount what it takes to pull cow's udder. I don't know if a lot of do mil, people do milking these days with, by hands, but short period of time when you pull the udder. If you have loving kindness, like pure, just mind has pure loving kindness. For that amount of time, 
that's even higher merit. If you have an even higher merit from that, if you have a one mind moment, it's an interesting concept, that one mind moment, but just very short period of time, have a rele mind which is released, meaning you don't have the defilements, the, uh, the hindrances. That means a mind which can't, you, it, it's after jhana. Even if you have a one mind moment like that, mind moment of release, that's the highest merit. And you are then following the Buddha's instructions. So, devotional things are important and they keep the inspiration going. We keep, have these things to have inspiration from the teachers. Do these things too together. Do pujas, do dana. Very important. It, again, inspires. It keeps you. Everything, all of these things have a value. We cannot miss anything. If we don't have, for example, these uh, devotional things like um, just do dana, it, it isn't this, it's missing the sweetness in your life. It's missing the sweetness in the practice. But if you don't, if you forget the high end of the practice, that, no, 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 that's, I'm actually supposed to be doing, these are the, this is what the Buddha taught. Well, you're not following his advice. Another simile, what the Buddha said, there was that thing where they, uh, he said that if uh, highway robbers come and um, seize you and then four strong men hold you up from your arms and legs and they start cutting your, 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 your part by limb by limb with the blunt saw, he says, <laughs> not just sharp saw, blunt saw with the double-handed saw. And if you, if you have one mind moment of ill will towards those people who are you know, torturing that way, you're not following my instructions. These are like really everything in your life. We, it just it, we forget that how the how hard the high high the Buddha put the bar. So we have these disappointments even in our life, the health and the, all those things. Those are all the moments of practice. But even when there is everything going well. And you just dull and you just want to watch TV. Well, it's distraction is is a quite a difficult one, especially these days. It's easy to get distracted, but I don't like that idea. As if in olden days it was somehow easier to practice because there there wasn't that many distractions as as today. There's always been distractions. There's always been bull cart to be fixed, swept your hut and you're in the forest and destruction's always been there but uh, we have enough of these things that if you're aware what's happening in your mind if you uh, if you're committed to that you realize that every moment every all the time is the time to practice now is the time to practice if you and if you look your practice what was your practice six months ago, a month ago, let's say. I don't think you're going to see that much difference. If you look at your practice six months ago, I don't think you're going to see a lot of difference. A year, two years, five years, not much. But if you look at your practice in 10 years, 
you start seeing difference. It sounds a bit um, lofty, perhaps, that, okay, you have to really put a lot of effort into the practice. But it does, does take time. Unfortunately, uh, there's not enough monks, t senior monks, so you have to um, take a sort of like second tier level monks to listen, give you teachings. But, um, but the unfortunate thing is that you have to feed the Sangha for a long time in order the teachers to come through that. Is it unfortunate? I'm not sure. But, you know, Ajahn Brahm has that story where he was in um, Wat Pananacha and one time there was this car came into the Wat Pananacha there and now there was all these people uh, coming and they came from all the way from Bangkok with the good food. And Ajahn Brahm thought he saw these people and it's like, wow, finally some decent food. You know, in Southeast Asia, even these days, the food is just Northeast Thailand. It's, it's pretty ordinary, I would say. I went there a few years ago and, they, you know, you, they give you the best of the best and you get these maggots, like these white maggots, when you put them in your mouth and you try not to think about it while you're eating and you put it in your mouth and then it just pops. Like, oh, right. Yeah, it was the maggots. Well, but they give you the best maggots, so it's okay. No, it's... Yeah, and you know the deep fried crickets and all that. It's it's actually quite tasty, but in but in those days it was actually pretty bad. I'm I really these days the food is it's quite good over there, and even if you have the buffalo after birth, I mean it's deep fried at least, so it's quite nice. So it just tastes like deep fried meat. So so Arjun, going back to the story. Um, so the, these people come there, and Ajahn Brahm was a junior monk, and he says, oh, finally we can get a proper food uh, from Bangkok. You actually get some proper food, because the northeast uh, Thailand food is it's pretty lame. And these people came out of the car and starting to unload all this, this food. from like, is, where's Ajahn Chah? Where's Ajahn Chah? Oh, no, Ajahn Chah has gone to another temple today. Oh, really? Which temple did they go? Well, it's it's you know, 10 kilometers, so on, so that distance. So they packed up all the food, <laughs> put it in the car, drove off, because Ajahn Chah wasn't there, the married wasn't there, the big teacher wasn't there. Well, there would have been Ajahn Sumedho, Ajahn Sayasar, Ajahn Brahm there. I mean, sure, they were junior monks. But these two people then was like, no, who are you? Perhaps it's that oh, I'm hoping you, you, you're going to like, these people are thinking, it's like, oh, in 30 years' time. Oh, well, we didn't feed Ajahn Mudita, did we? No. <laughs> well, th there is a little bit something to that. I mean, look, when Ajahn Brahm is here, obviously, no, okay, he's got a lot, he's a lot more wiser and he's a lot more experienced. And living with him, I know he's a, he's a very good practitioner. And there is more value to feed him in, in a sense or, you know, listen what he's got to say. But the, the thing is, do you really have to feed the monks and nuns for a long time in order as for us to become a teachers? And that the simile is more like into, geared into the same for you to, for that practice. That you really have to practice long time in order for you to start seeing that you're somewhere. You're, you're not so caught up with those 
sufferings in life, whether it's uh, quite often it's relationship problems, what we get, people tell us. It is, it is often those things. It's the relationships or it's the mental problems and health problems, obviously. And it almost seems to, it always seems to be the case that when there's somebody else's tragedy, it doesn't really affect you. You know, you, you kind and you listen perhaps even if it's your own family. But when the stuff hits your own fan, well, then I'm suffering. Then it becomes like a really big thing. Now it's your suffering. Until then, yeah, you know, watching news and we feel compassion for the whatever it is and what you know you see in news all the time or even somebody quite close family you feel for them it's almost it's getting closer and closer but then when it's your thing wow that's a big thing then you hope that somebody would be listening to you all the time and giving you advice but it's a bit late like i said we have to go back to that thing where you have to be an island to yourself. You really have to be practicing yourself. You have to put in the effort yourself. You don't, don't feel sad about it. You, you're putting the effort the best you can. So keep at it. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. That's the worst thing what we could do in Buddhism. Uh, coming from uh, certain type of uh, Christian teachings where they were always scared, making us scared. I'll tell you what, I was, the, where I come from, this rural Finland countryside, we had this very conservative, uh, I didn't know what it called, a priest, yeah. And he used to go to this pulpit and up in the, you know, like up there, and he just like tells like, you, you all sinners, even you little children, you're sinners. And I was sitting over there, and I was like, oh, what did I do? I'm just five. I can't be that bad. All oh, sinners, you, even the your, your sin goes back. It's because you're the four, I think four generations go back, and the children inherit their sins. I was like, oh, my grandfather. It was his fault. I didn't do it. Imagine with like, it's like they're, they're trying to make you scared and, you know, that's how you, they make you scared and they make you practice. Now that's the worst thing. You, you want to practice because you feel inspired. And my, I don't want to go into that topic again because that's my stable talk and uh, I always talk about inspiration. It's a bit difficult to stay away from that. But that is really what should be, the, where the practice should be coming from. I mean, there is that memory, there is that sati of, uh, if you take, uh, to you realize that there will, there will be these end bits in, in our lives and you realize that there is uh, problems ahead of us. We, we practice now. But if, if somebody doesn't remind you about these things, if you don't put the effort in to listen, teachers, if you don't, I know a lot of, lot of you don't read the suttas. So you rely on us to sort of interpret us those things and remind you about those things. Because suttas, they tend to be a bit, um, bit dry. Sometimes if you read it yourself, and really the contemplation probably doesn't kick in. It's, it's, it's difficult. So you then you have to rely on the teachers like, uh, could, like Ajahn Brahm or Ajahn Pramali or even me reading the suttas. And, um, 
So the practice, I think, for a lot of you is body contemplation. What does it mean? It, it sounds really difficult. It sounds very esoteric. But you, you understand that your body doesn't belong to you. You feel the body as, a, as an almost like an entity which you don't run. You step back a little bit from that body in the sense that like you just feel it as a it's almost like a cosmos of things you know ticking along together and if something doesn't tick right don't try to interfere too much with it just the basic body contemplation just feel another thing is that Quite often we don't realize what is the stress in our mind. We try to rationalize these stresses, these pains in our mind. There's like this is what's causing and this and that. And you don't, in that sense, it's good also do this kind of body awareness, body contemplation. You feel where it actually feels in your body and you learn to have kindness towards that. Uh, people like examples, so I give you an example. I I used to um, grind my teeth a lot since I was a child, and you know, especially when there's a exam coming or whatever stresses you have in your life. So I've my teeth are a bit worn out, um, and quite often, quite often it happens, especially this grinding. A lot of people do grind their teeth. So, uh, the 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 muscles in your jaw are the the strongest muscles, so they can they have even the the teeth are very, very hard. You can still grind your teeth down and you can really chip your teeth. And a lot of, it causes a lot of uh, pain there or even pain in your, and I've, I know a lot of others who's, who's got this problem. So until I was um, first year in the monastery, as I remember I was being a novice, and I realized that, okay, now I have this time to actually do this. Um, observe it and it always comes just when you I don't know why but then that grinding happens when you're just on that kind of like about to go sleep when you just start to drift off you start doing this kind of you really just try to start grinding your, your teeth um, so I just realized look the only thing I can do is just to actually just just even touch my face and just just relax, just relax, relax. Just, I don't have to grind my, I can actually stop this. And it, it, you know, it just kept coming back for a while, for a few months. But I, if I just kept at it, and I, I did get, keep at it, so eventually it stopped and it did not come back. And I know if I do it, I don't, I'm not a, anything special. Definitely not. And that's a, just that tiny little thing, just um, grinding your teeth. You can stop that. You have probably tensions in your body which you don't even notice. Perhaps you're keeping up your shoulders a little bit like this because you, you have stress. And the tendency is there to, you know, you have this kind of protective mode 
And you can do that all day. And you never had enough body awareness to realize you're even doing it. Just basic practice, learn to put your shoulders down. But learn where you have those things in your body. The body is an indicator. It really is. It shows that you might not notice that thing. You're too much in your head. You're thinking about too much. You, this thing, this thing, this thing. It's, you all, all the time have it. But it's affecting your body and it's making your body sick. So that's the point of practicing. Again, one good thing. Hopefully you can learn how to relax. That is actually is the practice. Learn to relax. That is part of the Buddha's Dhamma. And then you become a somebody who's actually practicing the right way. You're doing the kindness. Right speech, another one. Why do we practice? It's a big thing, the Buddha said. Right speech, very important. We too quick to give advice to others. We too quick to give our opinion. I just recently read an interesting sutta. There's um, one of these short, uh, short suttas, and there was... Unfortunately, I don't remember most of it, but then at the end it says there's a few things which you cannot stop your mind obsessing about it. One was to give an opinion, to speak out. It's hard to stop, the Buddha said. And the other one, it was just, it's hard to stop obsessing about traveling. I thought it was quite interesting because I think, sure, sure, the Buddha was probably giving this advice to the monks. The monks are always like, in, even in those days, it was like, ah, oh, just, I'm just going to go for a walk. I'm going to go there and then I practice. I'm sure they, even in those days, they had that kind of thing. And these days, you can probably think for yourself, oh, weekend is coming. Yep, uh, I'm going to go here and there. Oh, it's going to be so good. Yes, and you obsess about it and you kind of stop. Whatever it might be. You have a comfortable home. What's wrong about staying home? What's wrong about just staying in a, uh, in a monastery, in a Buddhist society? Just come here. And the other one that, you know, it's hard to stop yourself giving, uh, giving advice. You stop, you know, stop that kind of speech. It's like, yes, I need to give my opinion. I have opinion. I, I'm going to give it to you. It's really hard to stop. And it's true. Uh, if you have a right, if you have what the Buddha actually said, the, the right speech, you learn to speak at the right time. You learn to speak words which are kind and what the others appreciate and they want to hear. Those are the just basic things about right speech. So practice right speech. If you need to say something, yeah, you need to speak, sure. But learn to speak kind words, which are pleasing to the ear, which other ones want to hear. Don't just blurt out opinions and, you know, this is how the world should work and this is how the, how the society should work. Yeah, 
Sure. I mean, you can still have opinion, but if you come from the place of kindness, then it's right time to speak. And so again, that's the why we practice. We learn these things, and you can understand for yourself. If you just hear it once, but you don't put in the effort, it doesn't mean that much. Just whatever. You could read a philosophy book and doesn't make you um, so much better. If you don't embody the teachings, the practice yourself, embodiment meaning you actually practice yourself, doesn't have that much value. If you start embodying the, that practicing, you practice yourself, then others will respect your opinion more. That's why we respect somebody like Ajahn Brahm, because he embodies the, um, the teaching soul to a high, high level that we can actually trust him more. He's not a university professor who can recite Pali, all the books perhaps, the, you know, the Dhamma, what the Buddha was teaching, yes, Buddha was teaching this and that, this is the philosophy, this is how it works together, this is how, you know, this is how he, you know, can deal with the Brahmanical ideas, this and that. But it doesn't mean anything, right? You can see that. Just a reading a book, you don't embody anything. And another reason why you need to practice. So you actually, you become the embodiment of this teaching. And that's why us as monks and nuns, we have a really, we have to be so careful because people protect us that we are embodiments of this thing. And the Buddha said, you know, like the monks and nuns, we are almost like if a lay person falls down when they're walking, well, they don't get that much hurt. But if a monk falls down, you're falling from, uh, from riding an elephant. You really get hurt. We are almost riding on the elephant, not in the sense that we, you know, people... Uh, well, it is that sense that people look up to us. And if we fall, it's really dangerous. Because then you will lose the respect for the Dhamma really easily. If the Sangha starts misbehaving, then it's it, there's a big danger there. So that, that is it's something we have to make sure that just as a normal person, but we have to have, we have more responsibility. And it's, in a sense, it's your responsibility as well. Don't corrupt the Sangha. You feed the Sangha, you give us a place to live. You keep the societies going. But don't give money to the Sangha. Don't, don't put us, the Sangha in a pedestal if you don't actually know that they deserve it. We give respect to where it, it do, the dues are. And it's... The res we have to have the respect. If we don't have the respect, if you think every, we're all the same, that's not the right place. That's not a right level either. That's the normal society. But if we start diminishing the respect from the Sangha, 
we start, the sasana starts going down. There are still people who are well-practiced. And you have to become one of them. Every individual of one of you, you can do it. Again, I'm inspiration, giving inspiration. But this is how it is. So that's the, another point of practicing. Because you can do it. You, yourself. You have those things in your life. And they follow you everywhere you go. I know for myself another story of really, I was really heartbroken. Like really. Really, really, really. <laughs> and it followed me, right? Probably like 10 years. No, I don't care. I'm happy. I'm so glad she left me. I'm so glad. You know, you wouldn't know me now, right? I would have a family, perhaps. A nice house. Dog. Wow, what a responsibility. I have to go to work every morning. Now I can just go back to my room and sleep. Yeah, no, so yeah, no, there are really difficult situations, whether it's those kind of things. And it's interesting how strong these things can be, or uh, loss of a relative. My father has now Alzheimer's, and he's getting pretty uh, forgetful now. And I just heard he had pneumonia a couple of days ago. So it's, you know, like once you start getting there, Alzheimer's, pneumonia, Bam, you could be gone. Do I care? Yeah, I care. But I care more from a distance. Not that I, I have this kind of tremendous holding back. I don't want my father to die or suffer and all that. No, I realize it's part of the nature. There's nothing I can do about it. Only thing I can do, I mean, he lives... 8,000 kilometers away or whatever. Only thing I could do to call him and, you know, and, you know, he keeps repeating things. Yeah, just, you know, accept it. And, and same for mom has to live with the, with him who's starting to be forgetful and all those things. And it's just have compassion for him and all those things. But then how much, what can you do? Another thing why you have to practice. You, you don't, you don't become cold person. You have less attachment to that, those kind of things. But it doesn't mean you don't care. You care more because you are able to help others from not being in the bog yourself. Once yourself, you are stuck somewhere into the inner sorrow, in the bog of sorrow, lamentation, grief, in that black whirlpool. You cannot care, really. You are too much carried away. You're too much stuck yourself in that sorrow. But if you can sort of be up to the knees, <laughs> not up to your eyeballs in that sorrow, it helps. And hopefully you can be actually a bit more even detached from that, where you can just actually listen 
when you and you really can listen and you can then you have a speech which is actually right speech of compassion speech and that helps quite often it's just listening actually you don't give too much opinion that's the worst thing quite often we do for me every time i go to hospital i we go and see really sick people and dying people and all those uh, every time i go to the room i have this tendency or just before that i op- go into the their room i stop for a second and i think ourselves to myself this is not about me this person doesn't need to have my opinion i'm not here to help this person it's about this person who's there whatever they want to tell me whatever happens and whatever then comes out of it you know you ask questions more than try to give them answers and it's one thing what you you need to self learn from your own body and own mind don't try to give too many answers to yourself and on your body quite often we try to solve our own problems quite often we have a lot of questions in life a lot of problems and we we just keep feeding answers to to for our mind we keep telling our body this is what needs to be done this is this is this is what i need to be doing and then you end up running from place to place like a mad person just learn to stop be with the body be with the mind and that becomes the practice and you become the embodiment of the dhamma and then hopefully you get advanced in in this practice in this lifetime but if not well look the death will come and that's the last moment you can make that effort there's not so much about last mind moment that's that's one question that gets asked from us all, all the time about the last mind moment it's not so much about you're going to do something you know not to do anything you learn you learn now not to do anything stay a little bit have a distance and that's the last mind moment that's the thing what you can do about it last mind moment is going to come whatever not my problem whatever happens happens nimitta comes not my problem if it comes let it come don't interfere the more you do the worse it's going to get and that's why we practice and that's the talk this morning very good sad sad so get Okay. And then we go to the complaints part. We're just going to alternate between um online questions. Okay. Some questions from the floor first.
Uh, thank you for this lovely discourse you spoke from your heart. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, resentment, you were going back to the, your previous uh, talk uh, a couple of weeks ago. You were talking about illness, how to cope with it, how you cope with it. Can you hear me? Yeah. Is the microphone loud enough yeah. from, from that? Yes. Okay, Richard? all right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he's okay. okay. Right. I'm, I'm sure they're here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, resentment, even for not only for individuals, you can have resentment for conditions, situations. So, yeah. You apply the same principle of uh, uh, of uh, the way the discourse is that not mm. to get to have loving kindness, understanding, equanimity, and stuff like that, yeah. even for the condition. So it applies to all situations, not only for personalities. It is all for situations. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's what I was trying to say. That oh yes, okay, yeah, yeah. okay, good. Yeah, uh, the uh, how you uh, other thing is how one knows the, how you get better with practice is uh, again um, we all have defilements and the biggest problem is when we interact with other individuals who all, all have defilements. So that is where you are tested when you interact with uh, situations uh, where clash of defilements, cankers or bad habits or whatever you call it. So again, um, if you can, uh, if I, if you can deal with it, if you don't get affected by those situations, if you are doing better now than before, uh, if you are not perturbed by these interactions, uh, that is, then you know you are getting better. You see, again, how do you do that? Practicing loving kindness, compassion, equanimity. Yeah, the same story. So uh, let's Brahmavihara. So. You know yourself that I don't get disturbed by situations. They know you are improving gradually. Yeah. As long as it's not this kind of like, uh, you don't really care. They could be, they, we have to be careful with that. Yeah. We don't want to fall into that okay. that category either. That, that's, that's okay. you, can, you can deal with that by being indifferent. Yeah, I'm not indifferent, say, I, exactly. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Yeah. By understanding and dealing with it with... Mindfulness, loving kindness, with wisdom. Yeah, that's, that's it. how you know. Yeah, as as you know, as a doctor, you cannot be emotionally involved with every patient. Every, every time, yeah, I mean, but you have to be emotionally involved with your own mind. Correct. Yeah, and then and the people you care. So, so, but the, so, um, it's a good point. But mm. we have to be really differentiate that thing where when there's indifference yeah is actually we should have feelings not this kind of uh, craving feelings it's no, no. you know that's another thing where you go into the other deep end okay, okay. but the um we do care yes you do and care. The, why did buddha start teaching out of compassion yeah. right yeah and it was really yeah. there was the compassion yeah. sense there yeah. so he cared yeah. Yeah, really, compassion uh, means understanding the real situation of the other person. Yeah, not what you do with that understanding. Yeah, I mean, some people say compassion is making uh, going to a soup kitchen. No, it is really understanding what the other person is all about. Yeah, uh, and doing the appropriate thing what you can do at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Ajahn, we've got a couple of um, online questions here. Sure. So the first one here is, um, thank you, Ajahn, for this talk. I, too, am a fellow IBD sufferer. 
It is not easy to practice when I'm feeling ill. What should I do when any sort of practice is difficult? Well, people always say that I don't have time to meditate. Ajahn Chah's answer for that, well, do you have time to breathe? Nothing seems to work. I know that feeling where everything just sort of goes flat and it it is a really difficult situation. You're almost like in this um, still water where you almost wish something would change. That's the worst kind of place to be where, like um, he was, uh, Dr. Joe is saying that there's the, you become this indifferent and the the best thing you almost op, the best option for you in your mind is almost just to distract yourself and it is valid thing to do it shouldn't be the first one in your tool bag that distract yourself that's the normal reaction for us is to distract ourselves but that's one of those things where you it's sort of the last option well distract yourself for a little while go for a nice walk Look at the nature. Look at YouTube video about nice cats. Something which inspires you. Okay, you distracted yourself now for a while. Okay, now try something which is soothing for the body. For example, for this I know perhaps you need to go under the blankets instead of going outside. Make sure you have very comfortable that people who are around you know what you're going through, you know, explain to them, okay, now I just have to be in a quiet, dark place today and just stay there. And when you had that enough time, if you have enough sleep, enough relaxation, for hopefully from that the energy comes up, starts building up a little bit. Well... If nothing seems to work, you always have to remember that there's again, there's always tomorrow. It didn't work past. At the moment, it doesn't seem to be working. Maybe it'll work in 15 minutes. Have a little mind of, you know, positivity and have a bit of a mind which is, ex don't expect that the future is going to be like this. You don't know what the future is going to be. We are projecting too much into the future. This is what it was in the past. This is how it is now. This is how it's going to be the rest of the eternity. Don't think that way. You are just fooling yourself. Perhaps sometimes like it is sounds like we give sometimes two esoteric teachings. We don't just give concrete things. So uh, sometimes I say, just smile. There's nothing wrong about smiling. There's nothing wrong about saying, I care about myself. It's okay. I like, seriously, like literally, you just have to, ah, yeah. That's it. That's what it is. What can you do? Nothing. Well, don't do anything. That's the practice. That's the practice. What can you do? Nothing. Well, don't do anything. 
we tend to do too much. Right? Too much. Don't do anything. That's it. Thank you, Arjan, for a very good talk this morning. I appreciate it very much. Sure. My question is, is there any connection or is there any need when you're doing meditation to offset that by doing physical exercise? And if you don't do that, can that be cause any detrimental effect? If you don't do physical exercise, mm. you mean, does it cause it? De- yeah, sure. It's good to have... Um, and that by that, you, we also always teach us just like eat what you actually need to eat. It's part of it. And you're asking physical, but you know, everything, all of these things sort of go hand in hand. If you need to take medication, take medication. Exercise to a point. Like in monastery, we do work, right? Yesterday we're chopping wood, stacking wood. Mm. Why do we do it? Not that we have tons and tons of wood. We call it occupational therapy in the monastery. If we don't have occupational therapy in the monastery, monks tend to go a bit loopy. Sometimes, not all the time. But look, we need to have a little bit of physical activity, that two hours, two and a half hours in the morning, right? You know, chopping wood, stacking them, doing things. And how we do it? With kindfulness. It's not how much we do it, but how we do it. I'll give you an example. We had a bricklayer, we were doing huts in Borinian uh, in Western Australia um, a year ago now. We were finishing the huts and we had a bricklayer, English fellow, really funny, and he was like, and he'd been a bricklayer for, since he was 16, I think, and he was now 50s. And he's been doing laying bricks <laughs> all his life, pretty much. And he was like, one, one day we were there in the scaffolding, and I was always helping. And he was, you know, putting the mortar, putting the brick, putting the mud, putting the brick, putting the mud, looking into the distance, into the Rockingham there, down the hill, because we're up in the hills, down to the flats. We're up in the hills in Borinian. I said, Morito, there must be more life, more to life than this. There must be more to life than laying bricks. Put brick, mud, brick, mud. I told you, and I was like, yeah, there must be more to life than this. You're right. I didn't have any good answers, but I told Adam Brown that night, tea time. I said, oh, yeah. Andy, I think his name was Andy. Andy said this today. What, what, what do you think, Adam Brown? He said, yeah, there is more life to than that. You put brick down with loving kindness. You put mud, mortar with loving kindness. But the next brick, loving kindness. Next brick with... <laughs> There is more to life than that, laying bricks. You lay every brick with loving kindness. And th- I thought it was a, it's almost like it became a good simile for me, and I, I'm owning this simile now, and I, like, every brick matters. Every brick with loving kindness. And uh, so, it, every, exercise is important. Mm. How you do it? I used to be really obsessed with exercise, uh, and, but it was really hurting my body to that point. These days, I do enough, go for a walk a little bit, you know, chop wood, this and that, tinker along, but um, to a point, yeah. 
to keep your body healthy, healthy body, your mind mind is at ease. All right. Yeah. Thank you. No worries. Thank you, Ajahn. Do we have time for one more question? Okay, sure. Hello, Ajahn. How do you see the issue of personal responsibility in accordance with the Dhamma? On one hand, we are conditioned by the past, yet right effort requires we take responsibility. Well, personal responsibility, well, you don't have it, because there is no self there, right? That's why I play Majan Brahm. That's why we can play in Buddha. Um, personal responsibility is, yes, you have to, as long as you, it doesn't become a guilt trip. Yes, we have all made mistakes, said wrong things, done wrong things. Um, you can't erase it. Ajahn Chah's story, there's a man, man stayed in it, Wat Pa uh, Pong, who comes with the, uh, there and says, can I sleep in the monastery? It's like, yeah, you can sleep in the monastery. And then there's like, why do you want to sleep in the monastery? Because I just had an argument with my wife and I don't dare to go back there today. So the, uh, Ajahn Chah let him stay in the monastery and said, look, okay, um, tomorrow, and he said, do you know, like, can you do something to appease my wife? Ajahn, said, Ajahn Chah said, yeah, 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 don't worry, we have this ceremony. Next day, the, he tells the man who's like stayed overnight, okay, now we have to do the first part of the ceremony. Go into the, buy the chicken from the, uh, from the market. And after you buy the chicken, you come to, you know, come to monastery. And then while, you know, walking into the monastery, just pluck the chicken, just get the feathers off. As you know, they, they'd sell the you know, chicken there as a, as whole. And pluck at the monastery and then just, and then offer the uh, the chicken to the monastery. Just leave it there in the, in the, in the kitchen. And put it in the fridge. And the next day we do the second ceremony, second part of the ceremony. Well, the next day comes and they said Ajahn Chah says, "Okay, now we do the second part of the um, this uh, appeasing the wife ceremony." He said, "Okay, now you go and take the chicken from the from the kitchen, and the feathers you plucked yesterday. Now walk towards back to the uh, the marketplace and put all the feathers back to the chicken, and then put the give the chicken back to the uh, the marketplace." And the man said, oh, no, this is impossible. I cannot do that. I cannot take, find all the feathers in the forest and, you know, put them back into the chicken. As Ajahn Chah said, ah, that's the point. Once the feathers are out, you cannot put them in. Once the bad word is out, you cannot take it back in. The only thing you can do, apologize. Ask forgiveness. So the man understood and went back to home and said, oh, I'm sorry. So the wife took him back. That's, that was a happy story. But the, uh, the thing is, yes, you have to take personal responsibility in your life. You own your karma. Don't, but don't, be, don't get, uh, feel too guilty about it. We learn from now, this moment. Not in the future. We will postpone your practice, your you know, learning to the future. Don't feel too bad about the past. There's nothing you can do about it. Let's say you do something you have really, sometimes we kamma, the karma is sometimes is a simile of bad, um, black car, dark color, black and a white color. You do something really bad, it's dark. If you mix a little bit white into it, it's still 
really black. That's your kamma. But if you have a lot of darkness we've done in the past, or it's not probably not that bad, but you know, there is those things where you regret. Keep adding light, lightness, white color into that paint, and it becomes lighter and lighter. So the tint of the back tint gets uh, less and less. And so you don't feel so bad about it when you do good, when you are a nice, good person, you do good things. To yourself, start from yourself, loving kindness to yourself. And it, it becomes a lot, lot easier and better. And you, that's how you actually, it's interesting, as if we need to do um, good things to others. What if you do good things to yourself? That's good karma. That's right action. That's right, right thought. Who thinks you think your thoughts? You do. Be kind towards them. That's your that's your practice, and that's what you have to do. Hopefully, that helps. Thank you. <laughs> Let's go and have a dana. Very good. It's nice to see everybody. Let's pay respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, and then end.